Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back for another episode of the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey, Seattle Kraken podcast. RJ, it's been a little while. Is this our longest gap ever between deep dives? A week and a half it, or whatever? It might be. We've been going pretty regularly on these deep dives for a long time. Um, but yeah, that's what happens when the, the Kraken season ends. You get all the end of season stuff out and... I come down to SoCal <laughs> to visit you and and my parents. Yeah, and I get sick and all that good stuff. So, it's the, so yeah, we'll we'll get that visit yeah. going at some point. There's 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 just two important things. One, we're back. We're doing this. It's all good. We're back with the deep dive. The other important burning question I have for you, RJ, but also for everyone out there, because I think this would be a good one uh, to get people's opinion on as many people as possible. Jimmy Butler last night, RJ, with the Miami Heat won their game seven. They avoided the reverse sweep from the Celtics going to the NBA finals. Jimmy Butler, one of my favorite players in any sport, uh, RJ, you know this, he's one of my favorite athletes because of the fact that he can drag an eight seed Miami Heat like he did this year all the way to an NBA final without a second superstar in a league in which you might need three superstars. And the reason he doesn't have a second superstar is because he would make them practice and therefore nobody wants to play with him. So my question to everybody is, who is the NHL equivalent of Jimmy Butler? The guy who is just takes the craft so seriously, cares about things like practice so much that no, but no other like really good player wants to play with them because they don't want to take it that seriously. It's a good question. I think I'll have to tag the community in on this one because I don't have an obvious answer. Right. You've asked, yeah, you've asked me this question before at, at times and nobody obvious is coming to mind. Um, I mean, it, I can't think of anybody I mean, back in the day. If the abs had won the cup like seven years sooner, mm -hmm. you could be like, Oh, Nathan McKinnon. But I, I don't know. I was going to say like, there's some people like I think about, I'm just trying to think of like the hardest workers and guys like Ron Francis come to mind, maybe Rob Brindamore, but like people wanted to play with Ron Francis. <laughs> like, they didn't actively avoid Ron Francis teams because they were going to have to practice too much. So I don't know. It's a good question. It's a fun question. I just think it's one of the most unique things in team sports. It's just that this guy is so good. He can drag any team to a final and yet nobody will play with him because they don't want to practice. Go figure. Um, so there's my cold open out of the way, RJ. Next thing up that we're going to talk about is actually Patreon. So just want to inform everybody that our Patreon is going to continue through June. We've already announced this to all the Patreon people on last week's um, Red Glare. But for everybody else, we just want to let everyone know what the offerings in the month of June are going to be. Include some really special stuff. Obviously, a full allotment of our Red Glare podcast, the, the our league-wide podcast. We'll be talking about the Cup Final, uh, maybe some lead-up into the draft, early free agency stuff, all the contract situations around the league, all that stuff through the month of June. That's all going to be a lot of fun. The other big thing that we're doing is that we're going to be doing a bunch of live game commentaries for the Stanley Cup final, including, as we're going to announce right now, games one and two. So that would be June 3rd and 5th. We're going to be doing live game commentaries for people who want to stop by. If you're you know, interested in watching the whole game with us, that's great. You just want to pop in for a period or two, that's awesome too. But we'll be doing that for all of our Terror of the Deep Tier patrons over on Patreon. I can't wait for that, RJ. It's going to be amazing. I'm so excited. I've been looking forward to this too, going through the playoffs. The conference finals were a lot shorter than we thought they'd be. Yeah. Um, and so I was hoping for more opportunities kind of later in those series, but uh, so excited to watch the cup final games one and two, and probably more yeah. with everybody else too. Um, 
just it's always such a fun time and it'll be just again more little stress-free for us too with the kraken not being involved in the games yes. like i just i think it'll give us you know a, a, the ability to relax a little bit more i want to be tweeting the whole time like it's great yeah no it's gonna be a lot of fun and then just even the last couple live streams we've done just to be able to be with everybody again has been a lot of fun like it's just it's so nice to, to be with the community like that but that's not all also during the month of June over on Patreon, and we'll have like a f more formal schedule coming out uh, soon here, is uh, you and I will each be doing uh, our respective live streams, starting off with you going to be doing a armchair GM stream kind of as like a, a free agency preview for the Seattle Kraken. So everybody who's, you know, a, a Terror of the Deep Tier patron can join that, can ask you questions about Kraken's upcoming free agency, throw names out there, talk about contract situations like Vince Dunn, all that good stuff they'll be able to talk with you about all of that and then um after the draft at the end of the month so squeezing this in really late in the month of june um i will do a live stream a prospect live stream talking about all the players that the kraken drafted and so after the draft i will go and try to find any video i can on whoever they draft and all that stuff and then we'll sit down together and we'll do a prospect live chat talking about the newest members of the kraken organization so looking forward to both of those i think they'll both be a really fun time just as a side note just for everybody this isn't a Patreon exclusive. We'll just be doing this on the main YouTube channel. We will be doing a first round live stream again, just like last year for the first round of the draft. We will be doing that again, so we can announce that now as well. Um, but uh, yeah, all the other stuff is going to be a lot of fun uh, the month of June over on Patreon. So if you're interested, link in the description below if you're watching on YouTube. Otherwise, links in all of our socials. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to seeing your reaction, Dylan, your live reaction on stream to the Kraken drafting Andrew Cristal. Can you give me your surprised face? Are I you mean, working on it? That would be incredible. Like, I, I would love so much. I just, I'm working on my mock draft right now. I, it's going to be so hard for him to fall to 20. Don't think if he, gets he does, there. though, I'll be jumping out of the room. I really will be. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to seeing that on the stream. Our only hope is that, you know, teams get scared off of uh of his size that's that's the only hope rj but 20's a long way 20's a long way i don't know anything's possible someone who's five foot four 83 pounds i teams <laughs> if you're listening i i wouldn't go near that don't, don't touch it don't touch it you never know you know uh ron francis could probably bench press more than that still oh certainly, certainly. <laughs> i mean no no question <laughs> So, you know, just saying, it's, it's something to be afraid of other teams. Um, so that's that's the Patreon schedule. Really looking forward to that. That's kind of our schedule for the next little bit as well, because obviously we'll be doing deep dive stuff. We'll be talking about the draft and free agency on the deep dive and what the Kraken will be doing later on this month. This episode's mostly going to be around the Coachella Valley Firebirds, because we were both able to get out there for one of these Western Conference games, uh, final games. Uh, so we'll be talking about them, development of Players like Shane Wright, Riker Evans, Ty Cartier is back down there doing what he does. We've got lots of stuff to talk about when it comes to that. Before that, however, RJ, and this happened moments before we started recording because we, you know, not recording on a Monday, it's on a Tuesday, so the deep dive curse uh, didn't take effect this week. We The Kraken announced that there's going to be a press conference tomorrow involving Ron Francis, Talai Wiki, and uh, another member of the ownership group, Scott Holloway? Yeah, Sam Holloway. Sam Holloway, thank you. What is it? <laughs> we have no idea. Everyone's speculating. What, get, give, give me your guess. <laughs> so uh, I'll start off by saying that I don't know what it is. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that uh, this is all just speculation coming up here, but I think it might be fun to speculate. We've seen a lot of that on Twitter as well, with because I, I tweeted out just that the press conference is coming and we'll see what happens and, and people have ideas at this point. So we can kind of run through the different ideas, how likely we think they might be. And I know the first one that kind of came to our mind, Dylan, yeah. was that it was an update on the Winter Classic yeah. next year so that there'd be more Winter Classic information. How likely do you think that is? Well, I, I thought it was a lot better chances until you brought up like one important thing. And now I'm uh, now I'm curious and I'll let yep. you do the honors of saying what that is. All right. So it made sense at first to both of us. But then I thought about it. If it was the Winter Classic, which is a league event, by the way. Yeah. Wouldn't somebody from the league be there? Yeah. And so I don't know that they would do something like this. That unless the, you had someone from the league. Right. Yeah. That and the Zoom nature of it for the national media right. to be able to attend. So yeah, it was not, that's right. It was not available on Zoom. It's just an in-person press conference at KCI tomorrow. Um, and all it said was just those three people are going to be there. They'll all be made available for one-on-ones afterward, but there was no Zoom element to it, at least on the email that we got. So given that the Winter Classic is a league event, you'd probably want that available to media who couldn't make it to KCI by tomorrow, right. you know, with a day's notice. Yeah, so I agree with you on that. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think just given who's there and the fact that they're going to be made available for one-on-ones afterwards, you don't do that with ownership unless it's two things are going on, RJ. It's positive and it's not (laughs) on ice related. This is going to be some sort of, I think, thing that affects mostly off ice. You know, we saw speculation on Discord. I thought this might be a good idea. Does this have to do with the Muckleshoot patch? You know, Jersey patch, that could be something. I don't know that you would have Ron Francis there unless you just wanted somebody to be like, yep, this is good, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that could be it, certainly. I mean, but, you know, Francis, I, it wouldn't surprise me if it was like the Muckleshoot thing. I know you have him there and everything because he's the GM. You know, you want to yeah. show support from every you know kind of level of the team in that way. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. Certainly, it, it's going to be positive. I don't think it's going to be some negative thing, you yeah. know, I I can't really see that. Um, you know, it's not going to be, oh, sorry, Jay Leach is going to, you know, going to be the Rangers coach or something. Yeah. You know, it's not going to be that. You wouldn't have ownership there. No. Um, so I think you're you're probably in the right ballpark. Might be some, you know, new ownership, minority owner or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but like going down the, the list here, just because I want to get to everyone's, you know, ideas proposed. Um, all-star game or draft. Uh, you know, being announced for Seattle again, I think there'd be someone from the league there. Yeah, I don't think, and that there'd be it be on Zoom. Uh, Maddie Benier's extension, he's not eligible for an extension yet, so I'm gonna rule that one out. <laughs> I like this guy, Sonics. Yeah, yeah, that's how they would do this. Well, hey, um, hey, I know you're thinking the basketball team, maybe they're adding a Sonic uh, like drive up in CPA. Yep, there we go. I mean, hey, it could be something, you know, like a they, the Shaq's big chicken announcement when they yes. added that. <laughs> Would they really drag Ron Francis out there for that, though? Maybe Ron Francis is a big fan of Tater Tots, RJ. We don't know. Yeah, or Ron Francis has bought a Sonic franchise. Yeah. And there it is. It's totally possible. He loves you heard slushies. it here first, everybody. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I don't think it's anything on ice related. I'm curious to see what it is. I, yeah, I don't know. Any other ideas, Dylan? No. I mean, like, like normally for something like this, you would think, well, it's team related because they have Ron Francis there, but positive because of the other people being there. 
Um, but like they have all of the facilities that they would need. Like this isn't yeah. like a well, we're redoing the practice facility or building a new training center. It's all brand new. Like there's no reason for that. They have all of the things that they need. So unless it's that they're building like a second practice facility somewhere for some insane reason, yeah, I don't know what it would be. I really don't. All right, Th this this is kind of on ice related, but it's another suggestion I'm seeing here on Twitter from Ems. Please let it be Yanni as captain. So uh, it's not going to be Yanni as captain, but could it be a captaincy announcement? I guess it could be. And then they just wouldn't say that the player is there. Right. Cause the player would obviously be there. Right. But if you did announce right now that, Oh, it's going to be with ownership, Ron Francis and like Matty yeah. Beneers, then, you know, we all are going to kind of know what that's, what that is mm -hmm. <laughs> so and you can't really keep it a surprise that way so it could i don't know be. what do you i think there's i i think the i think there's benefits to doing it now too if you were to do something like that just because you know you have it for the full off season it doesn't become the story in training camp or whatever you'll have somebody who's a captain for the draft all that kind of stuff the one thing i would say is i would think dave haxtall would also be there mm-hmm yeah, you're right. You want the coach there for any kind of captaincy announcement. Yeah, because that's just, that's a very good point. Just because that becomes a very important relationship. It's not just the captain communicating with the front office with ownership and doing all those things. It would also be with the coaching staff. So I would think if they were to do something like that, they would schedule it on a day in which everybody could be there, including Dave Haxtall. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good point. This is interesting. Um, I, I'm just looking through the Twitter comments. Contract extension with Ron Francis. How long do they have him locked up at the moment? Oh, that's a good And question. I don't know if that, that information is public. I don't either. I mean, he's been, and also he's been there for a while. So even if it was like, say, a five-year deal, he was hired like two years before the Kraken existed. So, <laughs> Right, he might need an extension, in which case, yeah. I mean, actually, that would fit everything. That, that fits everything. Sense. Yeah, that actually makes the most sense. So, well, I for go. one would like to see that. Yeah, I, I would too. And I think everybody would be on board. I think everybody's just about in that, you know, in Ron, we trust camp. Uh, I think that would be fantastic. It would be definitely smart of the Kraken to do. I think Ron Francis, why wouldn't you want to keep hanging around with this organization that you're building from the ground up? It would make sense that he would be interested. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I like that. I think that's that's probably on the money. And I, and I would be really thrilled if that's the case. Yeah, that sounds like the most likely option to me of the ones that I've seen. Let's hope that's what it is. Yes, definitely, definitely. I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, there we go. We did it. We solved the case, RJ. Like the Hardy yep. Boys. Thank you, Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, we did it without the help of anybody except all of the people. <laughs> is is that not how this entire thing works, though, with that ECH, is, Dylan? That is entirely it's, it's the community. That's what makes it run. That is entirely how this works, exactly. Um, so, so good job there, everybody. Um, all right. Uh, we, we threw out a lot of stuff there, RJ. We talked about the winter classic draft free agency, a lot of stuff there. Um, why don't you go ahead and give everybody maybe, you know, for, for newer fans or people who weren't as involved maybe during last off season, why don't we just do a quick rundown of everything that's going to happen kind of this off season and like what the schedule of all that is for everyone. 
Yeah, good idea, Dylan. And because I figure there might be a lot of you listening who maybe weren't with us through last off season, and also this off season with the dates and everything, it's a little different than last yeah. year. The NHL is still kind of working toward that process of getting back on the normal calendar. They're pretty much there this off season, but because of COVID, a lot of the key dates in the NHL off season that were pretty constant for each of the last two decades or so got shifted because of, you know, the NHL playing in the bubble and, you know, everything that happened with COVID. I'm sure, you know, you're all, anyone listening is aware of, of everything that happened with the world there. But the NHL is kind of finally getting back to their normal off-season schedule. So I just want to quickly run through it and how that works, um, you know, for anyone who may not have experienced that before. So it starts with the end of the Stanley Cup final, of course. Um, and at that point, you kind of go into off-season mode. The first thing that happens which is the later of June 15th or 48 hours after the cup final is the first buyout period open. So teams can start buying out players. Uh, Dylan and I did kind of a quick scan. Don't expect the Kraken to buy out anyone uh, this offseason. It really doesn't make any sense for them. But you'll see some players uh, start to be bought out of their contracts at that point. Um, and so teams can begin to do that then. Uh, the next thing is the NHL draft. And so that will be June 28th and 29th. This year, usually, oh, there's one thing that happens before the draft, RJ. <laughs> That's right. The NHL awards happen the night before the draft in also in Nashville. So Nashville's yeah. hosting the draft this year. And I like that they're going with the awards in the city that hosts the draft. I yes. mean, every, the entire hockey world is there already. It just makes too much sense. Oh, my gosh. I've, I can't tell you how many drafts I've been to where the number one topic of conversation is everyone just feeling jet lagged from having to jump from maybe the cup final. Like if you're media or a league official, you got to go from the cup final to the awards show in Vegas and then to wherever the draft was a lot of times, like really in really quick succession. Uh, Cause generally conference finals don't, you know, go as fast as they did this year. And uh, everyone would always complain about that. I got to think everyone is thrilled just to have it all in one place. They can just show up, do that thing. They don't have to worry about traveling all over the place on, you know, at the end of the season and everything as everyone's just trying to get to the off season. I think it's really smart. I think it also works because players attend the awards show. There's always a lot of players there. This is right before free agency too. So it's gives an opportunity for players to maybe be, you know, take some meetings and talk to some people. Maybe even if it's not allowed, yeah. it happens. Oh yeah, no, it, it does happen. There's a lot of uh, business to be done. Um, so yeah, the NHL awards, the entire hockey world kind of gets together and that'll be, uh, you know, June 26th uh, at 5 PM yep. uh, for the NHL awards there. And it'll be right before the NHL draft. Um, so that's in Nashville, also in Nashville, the NHL draft itself. And I love the NHL draft. It's yep. one of my favorite events of the entire year. Um, and it's unlike other drafts. Like if you're a football fan, maybe a Seahawks fan, you watch the NFL draft and every team kind of has their war room in their own city and how that works. It's different. In the NHL draft, all the teams, the entire hockey world comes together on one arena floor mm -hmm. with all their tables and everything. And it is the most fun thing to watch. I would recommend you go to one in person if you ever get the chance, um, because you can watch a GM for one team stand up from their table, go talk to another team's GM at the other table, and you can speculate, oh, what are they talking about? Are they talking trade? And you know, sometimes they are. You'll yeah. see the two of them then go walk up to the stage and announce a trade. Like stuff happens that quickly. Um, so it'll be a fun event there. June 28th and 29th this year for the NHL draft. It's usually not that tight of a squeeze 
between mm-hmm. there and free agency, usually the draft's a little bit earlier yeah. in the month of June, but still it's late June just about every year. I'm I'm so excited for it. I'm super excited. I mean, there's so much fun stuff that goes on with the draft. Obviously, it's where like, you know, franchises are made and all that good stuff. We we know the importance of it as far as like adding in those players to your organization. But as you said, just all the little fun stuff that happens around it too, right? Batman walking out to a bunch of booze, making some joke about being booed. I always think that's a lot of fun. And then you talk about like the general managers and the scouting staffs, you know, communicating with each other and you could see them walking around talking to each other, assistant GMs, all that kind of stuff. You'll also see them like react. Like if a player they want gets picked like a spot or two before them, you will hear them if you're in the building sometimes just audibly go, oh, and like everybody <laughs> throws their head back at a table and you're like, wow, all right. My team must have made a good pick because, uh, you know, this other good team is upset. Or if it's a bad team that's upset, you go, well, uh, <laughs> maybe no uh but i always think that that stuff's a lot of fun it's it's really the only time of year that from like front offices and from like that more business side of hockey you get to see the excitement and the emotion and all of that stuff on display from them and i think that that's always a lot of fun and then also you see how busy the gms are in that lead up to free agency especially this year i gotta think because of that tight window there's gonna be just they're gonna be on the phone constantly like it's going to be it's going to be crazy to watch and you and I have watched them like get up from their tables on phone calls to go over and talk about something and then like a week later a deal gets announced and we're like hey you think that's what they were talking about like it gets really mm-hmm. fun it does it leads to a lot of great speculation and i should mention too with the draft so it's on the 28th and 29th the 28th will be just the first round So they have just the first round is the first day and it all moves kind of slowly because it's this big event and they're kind of theatrical with all the picks and everything. And then on the next day, the 29th, the draft will start much earlier in the day Mm -hmm. and it is just rapid fire with the picks. As soon as the second round starts, boom, 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 picks off the board and it goes really quickly. So it looks very different the first round versus rounds two through seven the next day. Right. And again, we will be live on the Emerald City Hockey YouTube page live streaming that first round i mean we won't have the footage of the first round we can't do that so you know but we'll be we'll be following along giving commentary talking about the picks all that good stuff we'll see how wrong my mock draft is this year rj I know. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, comparing that to reality. It is so difficult to do an NHL mock draft. It's so hard. I, I don't know how you even just put one out there every year. It's I, I wouldn't attempt hey, it. Look, I have no problem being wrong as far as getting the picks done in order, as long as like the players I had higher end up being better players. And you know what? I feel like at least last year, that's so far been the case. So I'm all right. That's true. You can look back at it and be like, look, I said this guy was going to go fourth overall and he went 17th and hey, look at look at how good he is. Exactly. We'll talk about about anyone in particular. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this year, quick turnaround from the draft. So once the draft ends on, on June 29th, the very next day, June 30th, is the last day of kind of the league's calendar year. So from June 30th to July 1st, that is when the league's calendar flips over to next season. And so every contract that players have signed, everything that will expire, you know, on the year, basically June 30th. So all the expiring contracts, that's the last day. And so July 1st, the free agency period begins. And so you'll have all the players who are on expiring deals, then become free agents. Teams can contact them without it being tampering uh, and you can sign free agents. So you'll see on July 1st, a bunch of signings start to happen. Now, 
it's a little different than was it last year or two years ago? Because the NHL experimented with this, I think people call it legal tampering window, yeah. where it was a week before free agency started, where teams could contact pending free agents at that point and have some discussions there. And so on July 1st, basically anyone who was going to sign, you'd just get all the news leaking right away, even sometimes before July 1st, because teams yeah. have been talking and news gets out. But I don't know about you, Dylan. I'm glad they got rid of that window because it brings some of the excitement, some of the intrigue back into July 1st and, and the coming days. I get that. But like, I think that the reason they did it was so that like they could have the, on the media side of things, you have the July 1st specials, right? Where everyone does a free agency special and all the deals are actually announced and you can actually talk about them. And it isn't drug out over the course of like the next week where it's like trickle fed and you can't make like a big deal out of the deals. And also it means people can start their off season a little earlier. That's so, true. That's true. On the on the media it. side, it definitely the, the legal tampering window certainly made it um, a lot easier on the media side, and I do forget that sometimes. <laughs> yeah, like it made it it made it a lot easier. You just talk about all the deals on that first day, and then everybody just packs up and heads out to the lake houses. Um, I think the front offices also appreciated that. Um, but it is interesting that the NHL decided not to keep it, given we've seen other sports leagues keep it. Like they've committed to mm -hmm. it and that's just the way they do it. It's odd for the NHL to experiment with something like that and then not just stick with it to get rid of it. It's interesting. Yeah, it, it is. I, I do wonder kind of the, the thinking that went behind that decision. I don't think we ever really got mm -mm. an explanation, not that they would ever give an explanation there yeah. uh, as to their thinking, but um, just one of those interesting things where the NHL kind of chose not to stick with it. But as a result, Teams can start talking to players July 1st. And so you'll see some signings maybe trickle out the next few days. Basically that first week is when you see yeah. most things happening, but you will see a lot on July 1st still, because there are a lot of players that, you know, want to hurry up and sign. And, you know, as a player too, you don't want to get left behind uh, like a, a, say a John Klingberg yeah. or an Evan Rodriguez last off season where, you know, all of a sudden the offers kind of dry up. So you will see a lot of, um, a lot of offers early there. The other thing with July 1st, because a lot happens when it goes to the mm -hmm. new league year, um, players in the final year of a multi-year contract, they're eligible to sign a contract extension. So you can't sign basically more than a year out a contract extension, but you're going to see a lot of players who have their final year of their deal coming up will sign extensions kind of early in July. The ones that are that know they want to stay, that know they want to sign usually long term, that's when you'll start to see that. Yep, and so for the Kraken, those names to be watching would be players like Jordan Eberle, uh, Alexander Wenberg, Ellie Tolvanen, Matty Beniers would obviously be the biggest one. I was going to say, bearing the lead here. I was just going in order of cap-friendly how much they all make on their current deals. Uh, and then on, on the back end, uh, Jacob Magna and Justin Schultz. So Matty Beniers obviously is the biggest name to be watching there. That's the one I think we're all the most intrigued by. And, and we want to kind of know that number. Are they going to bridge deal him with like a two to three year deal at maybe a lower hit? Or are they going to try to lock him up for the full eight year term that they're allowed to? It's going to be very, very fascinating to watch RJ. But also s situations like an Ellie Tolvanen, right? Like I'm curious to see if Ron Francis wants to extend that out a little bit more than just the one upcoming season. What that number could be for a player who came in and played really, really well.
He did. I don't think we'll see anything in his case specifically. Generally, players like that, you know, someone who's kind of in a top nine type of role, you let that contract play out, especially somebody uh, like Tolvanen, who's going to be an RFA at the end of the deal. There's no hurry, really, to get something done early. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of what they want to do. Or even, you know, for a veteran like Jordan Eberle, if he's interested in, knows he's interested in sticking around and they feel like they can work something out, um, you know, we'll see if anything comes of that. Um, so the next thing in the calendar is, um, you'll see kind of mid to later July, you'll see, uh, salary arbitration hearings, uh, the Kraken have some interesting cases with that. Um, so the, there's a deadline July 5th at 5 PM Eastern for players to elect to go to salary arbitration. Usually you'll see player elected, not club elected arbitration. Um, but you'll have players if they're given qualifying offers, like potentially uh, a, a Morgan Geeky, a Daniel Sprong, Will Borgen. I mean, Vince Dunn, I don't think it'll get that far, but Kale Fleury, you'll have these guys who do have arbitration rights. And so then they can elect for arbitration. And those hearings will happen between July 20th and August 4th if there's no deal that that is agreed to before that. Usually there is. It's yeah. very rare these cases actually go to arbitration, but just that's the timeline with that. Yeah. So it's it's going to be interesting there, just given the amount of names that the Kraken have and everything. It's it's going to be interesting, but yep. we'll see. And then the final thing I have to talk about as far as the off season two is development camp. We yep. don't know an actual date for it, but we're thinking it's usually a you know a week to two weeks after the NHL draft. So we're thinking probably mid July ish. Mm-hmm. As soon as we know the dates, we'll uh, let everybody know that too. And I know Dylan wants to come up for that as well. So we're yep. going to have Dylan up here. We're going to do a lot of cool community stuff, but dev camp probably middle of July. So keep an eye out for that as well. Yeah. Uh, trust me. Nobody wants to know that date more than I do everybody because I, I want to be able to plan a trip and that's uh, generally easier to do the more time out you have. Um, but yeah, looking forward to that one. Had a lot of fun up there last year for it, especially because it like overlapped with free agency. So it was like perfect. It was it was absolutely incredible. But uh, I do wonder if, you know, not if it is a little bit later, not only do we get all those new players in for dev camp, all the newly drafted players, all that stuff, RJ. I wonder if the new free agent signings might be there, too. Also, for just because the media will all be there. It's possible. It's possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think they'd participate in the dev camp, but no, they might but they be around be in the building, so yeah. available for us to talk to. Uh, I think that might be a possibility, uh, given how it all shakes out. So looking forward to finding out when the dates are. And then after that, it's the long wait until September where you get training camp and, and the new season kind of begins again. Yep. And the yeah. Oh, man, RJ, that it's the longest wait of the media season. Let me tell you. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. I, I know last season we tried, you know, putting out content every week. We had our way too early series. Yep. Uh, we tried to keep it going, but man, it just feels like you're waiting forever. It, it sure does. Uh, but all that's exciting stuff. Can't wait to see what the Kraken do, especially in light of the postseason run that they had. I got to think that that was intriguing to a lot of free agents. Um, kind of not a lot of holes to fill in free agency, though, also for the Kraken. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what strategy Ron Francis does decide to take when it comes to free agency. And then obviously the draft as the Kraken already kind of are considered to have like a maybe a potential top 10 prospect pool, despite only having two drafts worth. Um, and then you factor in the fact that they've got three second round picks on top of that first round pick. The draft's going to be a lot of fun for the Kraken as well. So lots and lots of good stuff to talk about there. But RJ, Kraken season's over. Doesn't mean that the organization is done because Coachella Valley Firebirds are still playing hockey. 
as they are currently up 2-1 in the Western Conference Finals for the AHL, playing against the Milwaukee Admirals, uh, AHL affiliate of the Nashville Predators. Um, and you and I were fortunate enough to get out to uh, Game 2 out in Coachella Valley alongside Jen, photographer. So, you know, everybody, if you're watching on YouTube, get ready for a bunch of awesome pictures from her. Um, and, I mean, I've already been out there, RJ, to Acrisure Arena, seen the environment, seen how passionate all the Firebirds fans and everything are. I'm curious just to hear, like, your first impressions of driving out to the desert going to a hockey game and, and seeing what, you know, a building with over 10,000 people out there screaming, Joey, 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 as he makes <laughs> saves. I mean, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? It really is. And it was, it was an amazing experience to be able to go do that. I know you had seen it already, but uh, going out there with, uh, with my brother and with Jen, cause I remember you got there, you drove separately, got there a little bit later. And so kind of getting to see it um, and, you know, my brother had never been out there either. And so the two of us kind of able to experience everything for the first time together was really cool. Um, and it really struck me because again, it's, it's out in the desert. I had been out there before we go to visit, you know, my grandparents sometimes, you know, in Palm Springs, I'd been out there um, for vacations and whatnot. And it's really close to our, it's like off of our freeway exit basically that we get off. So I actually kind of knew the area and to see a hockey rink in that area where it just felt like the furthest thing you would ever have, from something there uh was really incredible um you can definitely tell it's a newer facility you know it, it's nice i mean one thing that struck me as soon as i got in and saw the ice and everything was the lack of a jumbotron and how yeah. it just kind of has that unique character to it because of that um i mean i see what you mean about kind of the narrow concourses as well like how that would get really crowded and everything one thing i love to see though and it was the first thing I really noticed walking in the door was the community rink. Yeah. It was a separate, it's their practice rink for the Firebirds, but there was a public skate going on at the time. And you could see just members of the local community out there skating. And you saw young hockey players skating around in their hockey gear. And I, this just is not something that was really possible, I think, before that rink arrived. You couldn't get out there on ice and play hockey and skate. And so you saw the very beginnings of a, a growing hockey community in Palm Desert. And that was really cool to see. Yeah, it's it's really, really cool. I mean, there's just so much about it, um, especially, you know, you and I, because we get to kind of walk through areas that like the average person isn't going to just because we have the press pass, all that stuff. You get to go down to ice level and, and all that kind of stuff. Watch, you know, right from where the Zambonis are going on and everything. And, it, and it's it's really, really cool. And you do get like a sense of, like this facility is really incredible. Like, like it's like they spared no expense. I know I always say that about this organization, but it was true once again with this facility. It's it's really really cool. You talk about the lack of a jumbotron. It's crazy how much it opens it up, though. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like when you're when you're there watching a game, it really opens up that experience. And yeah, there's there's some sections where you know maybe you have your back then to the video screen, but it it creates. It allows it to feel open. It doesn't feel then as small as it otherwise would, I think. And you don't get like weird shadows, especially in those smaller arenas with the Jumbotron like on the ice from the lights and everything. You can get lots of weird things going on when the Jumbotron's too big. Maybe a puck goes up and hits it, stuff like that. Um, so I think they made the right call there. But yeah, it's a really incredible facility. I think the community is exceptional. 
I mean, I am biased. I've been to both of their two highest attended games, RJ, both the home <laughs> opener and then that game for the conference finals. But again, we're talking about 10,000 people showing up in the desert, super passionate, waving the shirts and towels around through everything, super loud. I mean, you can't hear you know anything going on that the teams do. You can't hear. I couldn't tell what the goal song was, RJ, because everybody was so loud. What was the goal? You song? know what I? I I don't know. I know before right. it was the yeah. It was like song the, two the by Blur yeah. before. Yeah. yeah, yeah, song two by Blur. But I I couldn't hear it. Now that yeah. you mentioned, it, I couldn't hear it. Yeah. I so yeah, the the environment was incredible. I mean, the fans are so into it. I, and I it set an attendance record ten thousand eighty seven people in that building breaking the record from opening night so again you, i was gonna bring it up myself but dylan you were at the two highest attended games there coincidence i don't know i think the people might they, they show up to see their firebirds for sure but when they know you're gonna be in the building i think there's that little something extra maybe so maybe so um it's uh yeah no it's incredible the crowd is fantastic and you know they're a hockey crowd like that's the that's the big thing for me was seeing it late in the season now after they're deep into they're in the fourth round of their playoffs versus seeing the home opener where there was a lot of people who were new to hockey they were very excited to be there they were sports fans they were going to be passionate you could tell that but during that home opener there was a lot of confusion about just certain aspects of how hockey's run right it's oh it's three 20 minute periods right like there was people who had those kinds of questions they were really that new to the sport and so just to see the one-year growth really just a six-month growth because that was in December <laughs> like that wasn't even that long ago um just in six months the growth of everybody uh like I said the passion was never going to be in doubt for this team but but just to see the growth of everybody as, as like a hockey community and everything was really really cool to see um having that jump so it was it was really, really awesome. Excited to and, see that. Oh, go for it. Well, yeah, and I, I had the chance to talk to some of the fans as well. And it was it was clear they knew the sport. It was, yeah. you know, definitely a crowd that and one thing I noticed, too, was I, I was curious with a lot of the fans. I asked them, had you followed hockey at all mm -hmm. before the Firebirds got here? And most of them that I talked to said no. Yeah. Which was really interesting because again, this is good. like we didn't follow hockey, but hey, there's a sports team coming here, and we don't have a whole lot in the way of sports. And how much they got into it over the you know six months or so. I talked to a group that was kind of sitting right in front of us uh, where we were in the media section, and there were a couple women there that said that yeah, they didn't know really anything about hockey. Then the Firebirds arrived. And they just started coming to games and they loved it so much. They kept coming to games and they had a friend with, with them there who was kind of teaching them everything about the sport, who knew it a little bit because he grew up in, in Pennsylvania. And so there was some hockey. And so they've just been eager to learn and get into it. And um, I just love seeing that. Dylan, you know, this is one of our favorite things, maybe our favorite thing about hockey and doing what we do is, is people getting into the game and, and experiencing the joy that we do. And you saw that times 10,000 the other yeah. night. Yeah, no, it's it's really true. It's it's really incredible. And it is one of those things of, you know, people love sports like wherever you go in the world, sports are played. It's one of those universal things across all of human culture. Right. There's like art, there's music, there's sports. And and I think whenever you can add something like this to a community that otherwise doesn't have it right like it's those are like the prime areas and to see something like hockey to be that team to go into a desert community like that 
I think is really, really cool. And it's, it's, you know, when otherwise you look out around the league and you've got like a, an Arizona coyotes type situation and that draws a lot of negative attention to see something like this, where it is like, no, this is possible. You know, if things are done right, it's possible and people can, can be there and be passionate for it and everything. And it can work out in a really strong way. I think that that's really solid. I think we saw that with the fact that Vegas was the most Northern team of all the teams left in the <laughs> NHL for their final four. So I love seeing the Sun Belt uh, hockey thing that we've been seeing this year and, and Coachella Valley's right there as a part of it. Now, the team has helped a lot as well, RJ, because they are kicking ass on the ice. And that that oh, certainly sure. helps get everybody going. Uh, when you have a solid team, you know that when you go to the arena, your team's got a good chance of winning. And at the very least, they're going to be competitive from start to finish. And so I want to kind of transition and start talking about the players, RJ, because that team is stacked. It's it's so good. Absolutely. It's so good. Yeah, they, they're such a good team. And I, I think even before the players, you got to talk about Dan Bilesma the yeah. coach i mean setting the tone creating the system you were talking during the game about how a lot of the players playing to the system so well mm -hmm. um and, and just love to see him having a good time in the desert hopefully you weren't saving this for later or whatever but i've, I've just i gotta start with him and that's one of the things too we got there early and so we could see a lot of areas kind of behind the scenes and everything and we saw when dan biles walked in the door and he was being told by our team representative as he was heading down a locker room oh yeah by the way dan it's a sellout tonight and he's like, sweet, let's go. You know, he was so excited that they had sold out the building for that game. Yeah, I, he is so passionate about all of this. You can tell how proud he is of what the organization's been able to do there in that in that arena and everything. Like, that's something I remember he was really at a loss for words at the home opener. Just at how loud it was, how many people were there, how excited everybody was. I remember he just, like, couldn't find the words for it he just kept coming around to just like it was awesome like that's like all he could say <laughs> and and um he's he's really kept that energy that enthusiasm as expected i mean this is dan biles well that's the way he's kind of always been it's who he is um but i think that that kind of makes him the perfect fit for something like this where you are talking about a minor league team and but you're also talking about them going into a non-traditional market but a market that is you know, was kind of ripe for the choosing as far as not having a lot of competition in the sports market and all that kind of stuff. And I think he was just the perfect choice to be there, not just for the on ice coaching stuff and the system, which we can get to in just a second, but also for, you know, all of that other stuff. He's the, he's the perfect guy to kind of sell that to a new community of hockey fans. Uh, Cause how do you not just get on board with a coach who's very down to earth? He's just going to say what he means. And often that's good and positive and fun because he's just a good and positive and fun person. You know what I mean? Exactly. All right. Now, now, now we can get onto the players here because there, there well, are some good players. System yeah, go wise. One, one thing. And, and by yeah. the way, I was going to throw in like the, maybe the Bilesma presser in full. Cause we, you know, did take video of all that. I think I'll throw mm -hmm. in all the pressers that we took there at the end of this podcast, just for everybody who wants to listen. You can, you yep. can listen to it there. The video will be on the YouTube version, all that stuff. I just think that'll be fun for everybody. Um, the system that the Firebirds running RJ, did it look familiar to you? Did it remind you of a team at all? An NHL team? I mean, and I don't mean the Kraken. Yeah, no, I, I wasn't thinking the Kraken. I'm, I'm trying to think. Because it, remind, it reminded me of the Vegas Golden Knights. You know what? Yeah, I mean, like, attack and transition, kind of, you know, defend a lot of the same ways, keep teams to the outside. I don't know. 
I, I see some similarities there now that you mention it. Yeah, they try to defend to the outside, all that kind of stuff. They like to move up. They make to attack and transition. They like to move in through the the um, the sides of the ice on in the offensive zone. What am I thinking? Along the boards. That's the word I was the phrase I was searching for. <laughs> sides like of to, the ice. You, you know, know the sides of the ice. Yeah, uh, and <laughs> then and then get somebody down low in the slot and then get them the puck and try to score that way. Something like that. I, it just it reminded me a lot of Vegas. It's not exactly Vegas's system, but it reminded me a lot of Vegas. And you just see that with this team where it's it's similar to the crack in the sense that they got four lines that they are rolling and they are pushing and they are driving and it's just clear that other organizations do not have the depth to match up against that and certainly not when they're pe- playing with pace the way that they did and that's the other thing that kind of reminded me of Vegas was it was the fact that all four lines are doing the exact same thing so everybody's interchangeable the pieces all can move around and it's just kind of you're just hitting them over and over and over with that speed and that skill and um, Milwaukee struggled with it in that game anyway. <laughs> yeah, they did. And you talk about the pieces being interchangeable too, because I, I saw Bilesma able to be really kind of flexible with his lines yep. too, where all I, I was looking for like, okay, it, they really were all over the place. I was yeah. looking, all right, like, you know, who's Shane Wright with? Who, who's he on a line with? And I'm like, okay, it's, you know, it's McCormick and it's Lynn. And I noticed Alexander True then in with McCormick and Lynn the next shift. I'm like, oh, maybe I got that wrong. I noticed there was another center in with McCormick and Lynn too. There's a lot of flexibility there because the pieces all fit and everyone's fitting to the system. And I, it just makes it so much more difficult to defend against it does and it makes it really hard to scout this team too rj because i was there and i was trying to just do scouting reports on players like shane wright like Riker evans talk about them uh, you know a little bit later i was trying to do other players too and it was just hard because everybody was just doing the exact same thing and they were just playing the system and they were all doing it well so it wasn't even like somebody stood out because it was like oh they're really struggling with this um and so it made it hard to to kind of like single anybody out or to, to go and be like well you know Billy Petman, I, I really like the way he does this or that when he was doing the same things as, you know, four other guys. <laughs> right. So it was an inter- it was an interesting game to watch, but I think that it's serving the Firebirds really well. I, to be honest, I think that that's a totally fine way to run an AHL team. You know, again, it's a minor league team. You're trying to win, especially establishing yourself in a new market. I think that's very important. We've seen a lot of AHL teams struggle um, just because of financials, and then it kind of can turn into like a death spiral type of situation for them. So I like the fact that, you know, if they're just focused on winning all that stuff. But also that's a system that produces players like a Ty Cartier to come up, right? It's it's one that likes to forecheck. It's one that likes to have forwards come back and defend. It's one that wants the defense to be able to move the puck. These are all valuable traits that if the Kraken ever need to call somebody up from the AHL, they have good skills that will translate to NHL hockey. And I think that that's also really important. Yeah, and that's the worry if you have a system that you know, guys are sticking to really tight and that if the system isn't something that really translates to NHL skills or that, you know, kind of works better at that level, then all of a sudden you, you want to call somebody up and you have nobody to call up because they all kind of play the same way. But this right. is the opposite. You have everybody who knows what to do, who has the right skills that's going to translate to the NHL level. And I mean, Ty Karche, the number one example of that, of course, mm-hmm. with him being called up. Um, but you've seen it, you know, with John Hayden, with um, Jesper Froden, with everybody who's gotten called up from the Firebirds, uh, playing pretty well and, and not looking out of place at the NHL level. Right. And I think that's really important as well. Um <laughs> It was it was kind of interesting to watch them play also RJ against this um 
uh, Milwaukee team. I just want to throw this out there because it, it was something that struck me about them. And I think, you know, Firebirds did a good job of, of, of kind of dealing with this. Milwaukee, RJ, seven forwards, six four or bigger. They're giant. They that giants. whole team is giant. It's insane. The smallest player on their, it, the smallest forward on the team is actually my boy, Kamel RJ, at 5'11", 185. He is their smallest forward on the roster. I was like, holy cow, this team. They had some massive, massive individuals. And so there was times where that, I thought, translated really well to the Firebirds and players like a Shane Wright, who played fantastic physically as we can kind of transition into him maybe mm-hmm. here he was using his body he knew exactly when he was going up against somebody who was going to be six seven that hey if i get low i can have all the leverage on this guy because he's so much taller than me i can do that we saw him draw a penalty because of his physicality and just because he decided to engage a player in the transition moving up ice like the firebirds have the puck and they're going up the ice and he just makes sure to kind of be in somebody's way ticks him off and draws an interference penalty from it. Like that's just smart hockey. And then later on, uh, he did have an apple on, I believe it was Billy Petman's goal. Uh, and, um, it was because again, he was winning a board battle and he was able to shove the puck up the ice, hit Petman in stride. Petman's able to go in and score. And it's just like, Hey, this is that that's one of the, the big things that stuck with me about Shane Wright is he looked like arguably the most physical player out there, RJ. And he was playing in the land of giants. Yeah, he certainly was. And he didn't shy away from contact at all. And I think that stuck with both of us. We noticed that the the two of us very early on uh, and it continued throughout the whole game. And that's something that was noticed by Dan Bilesma as well, because I I asked him kind of what the message to Shane was. But and we can get to that, you know, that comment a little bit later. But he said that one of the plays that stood out to him was the assist on the Petman goal, where he's physically engaged with the player, he's winning a wall battle, and he gives the extra effort to kind of extend and poke that puck forward to create the play that's happening. And so you saw that effort from him, and I think it was really consistent all game in that play to get an assist, in drawing a penalty, like you said, where he physically engaged with the player to buy his teammates some space too, because you had Eddie Whitco coming around the net, and he was probably going to get cut off by that Admirals player in his path around the net. But Shane Wright just engages a little bit, buys his teammates some space, and doesn't let go all the way through the ice, uh, uh, down the ice. The Admirals player had to kind of keep grabbing him and holding on to him, uh, and it ends up drawing a penalty and, and you know, it gives you, your team a power play, and that's how you make a difference in that role. Um, so I, I was pleased with what I saw. And then, of course, in Game 3, he follows it up uh, by winning a net front battle, scoring the team's only goal in that game in Milwaukee. And so it's good to see him kind of build that momentum from one game to the next. Yeah. So I want to, I want to talk a little bit about, about that and about him. Um, obviously love the physical play that he has. I think that's really important. I think that's going to translate to the NHL. It's something that stuck with me from dev camp last year was just how solid he was, how broad his shoulders are, how, how built his frame is to carry and support weight and for him to play physically. And so it's really nice to see him kind of develop that over the course of this, this, you know, D plus one year for him. And I think that that's really important. I think that's going to translate to the Kraken. Again, defensively, this guy just knows what he's doing. He's he's a leader out there defensively. I mean, it seems like half the time in the defensive zone, he's pointing 
to where there's an open guy for someone to go cover them. He's communicating with his line mates. He's communicating with his defensemen. If a defenseman goes be be below the goal line to go behind the net to go try to dig out a puck, he comes down low to help defend net front. He has the defense completely. He has the physical side of things, RJ. The one thing that I want to talk about with Shane Wright, and I feel like this is maybe something that people have been noticing or um, considering or like, you know, as, as there's been a lot of stuff in the fan base about like, where is he going to play? How good is he? All that kind of stuff. There's been ideas and it, it dawned on me actually driving back that night later on what it is with Shane Wright. And it's that I just think that maybe we need to adjust our expectations as far as offensively what we're expecting from Shane Wright as someone who was lauded as a potential first overall pick, someone we took fourth overall, all of that kind of stuff. And I say that just because of how he plays in the offensive zone, which you notice I, pro I haven't brought up yet. Yep. He plays really, really well net front. That is clearly where he wants to be, again, engaged physically with defenders. He thrives on that. He knows how to get inside position. He keeps his stick on the ice, RJ. Like, oh my God, I want to show him to every youth hockey player across the world, right? You're going to be net front, keep your stick on the ice. That's how he scored that goal in game three. Like, that is textbook perfect. So many more players need to play like that. When, he's, when that net front spot is already occupied by someone else, he kind of doesn't know where to be. And I, and I think that that's been consistent through juniors. I feel like that was maybe part of his issue at the NHL level in those couple games that he played there. And I think that that was noticeable for me here too at, at Coachella Valley is that he's a really good player playing in the slot, especially low in the slot, net front. And that, again, that is a very difficult thing to do. As we saw this postseason run, the Kraken probably could have used a little bit more of that, right? Like, so this is definitely not a problem as far as somebody, you know, bringing that idea to the Kraken. I just think that it's one of those that, like, you know, is he going to be a 100-point guy in the NHL? Eh, probably not. You know, and I think so there just needs to maybe be a little bit of an expectation adjustment of, look, this guy is going to be a defensive center. He's going to be a physically defensive center, and I think that's important. And he's going to be a net front annoying player like a, like a Yanni Gord. Um, and so I just think we need to maybe change our expectations of, hey, this top draft pick, this top guy in our organization – that's more so who he is. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, RJ. I would love if he could develop into our organizations like Ryan Kessler, where it's just like, again, this is the perfect player come playoff time because he's just going to go out there and engage everybody and hit everybody and be a, a menace net front. And so I'm still really excited about Shane Wright, but I'm excited about things differently this offseason than maybe I was last offseason. That makes sense. And I like the way that you put it too about if he's not net front, he's not really sure where to be. I was trying to formulate in my mind kind of how to how to phrase that because it just I, I followed him for a lot of his shifts taking video. And it seemed like it when he wasn't net front, but he was in the offensive zone. Uh, timid didn't seem quite right. Uh, indecisive didn't he, seem quite right. He defaults. I don't know. To, he defaults to what he knows, which is defense. So he hangs up around the blue line like he's ready to defend in transition if things go back the other way, because that's what he's comfortable with. That's what I noticed. OK, I mean, that makes more sense. And I think the, the one real downside with that and, and I'm, I'm fine if he can be this great defensive center. But the one real downside with that is it feels like one of his best attributes is being wasted. And that's his shot. 
yeah. because he's not putting himself in position to use that yeah. shot. Last time he was in Coachella Valley, that first uh, time that he was sent down there mid-season, and he scored, what, five goals in four games or whatever it was, yeah. a lot of that was from his shot, and a lot of that was from similar spots, and it was in transition that he, he was usually able to do that. But when they're already in the offensive zone, he seems to have trouble putting himself in a position where he can use that shot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's great to be net front. It's great to win battles net front. But it, it, again, it just feels like that shot is kind of being wasted the way he's currently playing. And there's that's not something he can't change going forward. Or it, maybe it's something he doesn't even need to change because maybe he doesn't need to put up those great offensive numbers. Um, but I, I think the Kraken are still in a fine position because you've got Matty Beniers who can put up those big offensive numbers as he's yeah. shown and still play really well defensively. I mean, it's, that's still looking like a really good one-two punch. Um, but I, I think you're kind of spot on with your assessment of Shane right there. Um, and I was kind of thinking about, you know, the big picture. That's really what I wanted to know is kind of, okay, where does he kind of stand with the team? What is, what does Bilesma think about him? And, and what, do, what do they want him to get out of this playoff run mm-hmm. too? Cause I'm looking at it from the Kraken perspective and kind of from his long-term development. And what does this run here do for him? Um, and especially if he's going back to Coachella Valley next season, we don't know if he's going to be allowed to do that or not, yeah. but I kind of want to know what the organization wants out of this run and so that was what was behind my question to Dan Bilesman and we can kind of get to that now because I was surprised yeah. that there was so much negative reaction to that or people perceived that negatively as a negative comment from him because if you're in the room it didn't sound that way at all and it, Dylan like you said I think you're going to throw the audio yeah. at the end here um, so people can give it a listen themselves but I asked Dan Bilesma what's the message to Shane after coming back after his OHL season has ended. And Bilesma said, the message is, you know, we have a winning environment. We have a competitive environment. Get in there and be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And, he, and then he followed up with saying, I thought tonight was Shane's best game in that regard. Um, and so, you know, Dylan, you and I didn't have the chance to really watch the earlier games that he played in the playoffs. We know he was a healthy scratch at one point in the prior series. Yeah. Um, but it, it seemed like a positive from Dan Bilesma, just basically saying, you know, hey, kid, get in there and, and get at it. And, and that's, you know, kind of a simple message, right? Yeah. Don't want to ask him to do too much. Just get in there and, and be a part of this team. You talked about the system where everyone is kind of doing what they're supposed to do in the system. And I think Bilesma just wants Shane Wright to be a part of that. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think that's all it was about. Um, I will say this, and, you know, again, for people listening, I don't feel like Bilesma was expecting questions like that. Like, like for, for mm-hmm. both the questions about Ty Cartier and for the Shane Wright questions, I think he just wasn't expecting that as part of the press conference. He wasn't expecting some Seattle reporters in there uh, to be asking yeah. those kinds of questions. You did catch him by surprise a little bit, I think. It, it caught him definitely by surprise. So you'll hear that he, you know, it takes him a moment to kind of come you know, find the right words. And he didn't have like a canned response like he would have for all the questions about the games. And so that's where I think a lot of it also comes from as well. Um, some of the, some of the confusion or the perception around it. Um, but yeah, I, it's look, it's a fine message. That's what you would tell to anybody. I'm sure that's what he told, you know, Goyette coming in, uh, Ty Nelson, Fergus when he was there, all those guys, right? Like, that's just what you tell them. It's a, pretty innocuous generic thing to say <laughs> as far as you know new people joining your team for a playoff run like you know look it's an established team we play a certain way we play with a certain level of energy and intensity 
go you have to go out there and match that if you want to break into this lineup right like you don't start playoff runs with young players and then just be like you know okay i guess we'll just change everything that worked for us in the regular season because we have these guys it's like no they got to earn a spot in the rotation they got to play the same way as everybody else and so i i felt like it was a very appropriate message to have for him yeah, agreed. And so I, I, it's the kind of the internet rule of Shane Wright where everybody has to kind of freak out. Yeah. Um, so I, I understand that, but don't worry. Don't ring the alarm bells, especially going up and following it, following it up with a goal the next yeah. game and, and probably playing a pretty good game after that. So I don't think we should be worried about him. No, and again, I mean, I watched him play and I was like, this is what the Kraken missed this postseason was a player who could win those board battles consistently and push the puck up the ice and it, and play net front consistently, right? Like they get out of the Dallas series if they have somebody playing that way. You know what I mean? Right, and I, I did think that a lot during the Dallas series. Not so much the Kraken need Shane Wright right now, but the Kraken need a 21-year-old Shane Wright. They'd win this series yeah. if they had a 21-year-old Shane Wright on this team. The, the timeline just didn't work out that, you know, didn't yeah. work out that way. Yeah. Uh, the other player that, you know, obviously stood out and I think a lot of people would be curious about would be Riker Evans. On the back end, RJ guy can skate like it's insane how smooth his skating is, how how effortless it is, how how great he is at moving the puck up the ice. Like stretch passes are nothing for this guy. Like it's insane, and the patience he has with the puck, he can hold on to it until that just that last second before somebody gets to him. Really open things up, get the perfect pass open. I love watching him work on the power play, all that stuff. I thought he's improved as a defender a lot as well. Cause that was the big takeaway I had earlier in the season with him was that the defense was like kind of nowhere close to being NHL ready. And I felt like, well, defending is still the thing he needs to work on. he had made great strides with it this year. He did a good job kind of covering net front going below the goal line. He's not undersized. He has decent size. Um, he's especially kind of, he's stocky. He looks strong and he must be strong given his skating. He must have good lower body strength. I'd like him to learn how to be physical when he does engage with people a little better, get lower, you know, use the leverage of, of that and all that. I think he still needs to work on those things, but otherwise Riker Evans, I mean, I was seeing enough to think that, yeah, he does have a shot to be, you know, that sixth defenseman with the Kraken next year. Yeah, I, I saw enough, I think, to think he's certainly going to get a chance there. And one thing I noticed, too, about his defensive play, because I got the chance to watch him when the Firebirds were up in Seattle at the start of the season. Mm -hmm. And defensively, not great overall, but yeah. there were flashes. There were good moments. And it, that's all they were. It was just kind of flashes every now and again. Where I'm like, okay, he played this well. This is how you want to play it. It just wasn't often enough. And I think what I saw differently was just the consistency. Yeah. Uh, last game. And I know you were watching him a lot closer than I was. Um, but the fact that you weren't pointing out like, oh, he kind of messed that up there or he should have gone in the net front there. You weren't making those comments to me a whole lot. Um, that tells me that the consistency is there uh, a little bit more than it was at the start of the season. And that's kind of what you want to see from from him defensively. Just mm -hmm. that progression. Right. Yep. Given the way that Riker Evans plays, he doesn't need to be incredible defensively. No. He doesn't need to be, you know, stopping everything. He just needs to be good enough where he's not a liability defensively and where he can kind of hang there and let the the puck moving, let the offensive side do what it does. Um, and I, I was happy with what I saw. Yeah, I was I was definitely happy with it as well. So Riker Evans looks good. And again, the physical stuff, 
I just, we talked about it earlier. He was playing against a team of giants, okay? Like, there was one time where he got flattened net front trying to defend. Well, the guy he was going up against, I kid you not, is 6'7", 230. Eh, you know, like, that's it's fine. <laughs> it's a tough assignment. And you know what I'm really excited to see next season? If Evans does make the Kraken or whatever time he spends up at the NHL level, I want to see him working with Vince Dunn especially on the defensive and the net front side of the game. Cause Vince Dunn, not all that big listed at, you know, six feet, 200. I think that even might be a little bit generous, but I think that's kind of where Riker Evans gets to when he fills out his frame a little bit more. And just the way that Dunn is able to play physically in front of the net, like he's kind of nasty to play against, yeah. you know, at certain times. I mean, you know, the whole Dundertaker thing. Yeah. I, I want to see a little bit more Dundertaker you know, in Riker Evans. And I think if he can just spend that time at the NHL level, I want to see Vince Dunn kind of take him under his wing there. Yeah. And then maybe Larson can take both of them under their wing, under his wing and teach yes. them how to use their stick when defending. Cause they, they could both <laughs> use a little bit of that as well. I will say <laughs> that was the, that was the other thing I was going to say is, you know, it needs to learn how to engage physically a little smarter. Also just use your stick, man. Like, but this is a complaint I have about so many defensemen, how they get to the NHL level without knowing that they can use their stick to disrupt plays. I don't know. Ugh, it's frustrating. Um, well, you got to tell Adam Larson to teach him that. Come on. I, I know I will. If he's, he's at dev camp at all, I'll just be like, get out there and teach all these defensemen to use their stick when defending. It's, it's, it's not hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, those those are the two big ones that I, I felt like you know for for Kraken fans that everybody would be curious about. Otherwise, look, everybody looked good. Like I said, it was hard to kind of scout them because they all just kind of played well within that system, and they look really good. And I think that there's a lot of guys on that team that you know if the Kraken didn't have the depth that they have, could be call ups and could be NHL players. Cole Lind, we've talked about, he could be an NHL player right now. He probably deserves to be an NHL player right now. There's just no space for him. <laughs> yeah. And he's not the only guy you can say that about uh, yeah. on this team. Like you mentioned, there's, there's several that you could call up and they do fine. Can we talk about just a couple more players real quick? Yeah, Dylan? go for it. All right. Ty Karche. I, I know we've already heard all yes. about Ty Karche, but like, come on. I, I did give Dan Bilesma the chance to, to gush about Ty Karche the way that, that Dave Haxtell had been. I was curious what Bilesma had to say, because let me tell you, listening to, to Dave Haxtell talk about Karche and whether it's, you know, in the media scrums or even just kind of behind the scenes hearing how he talks about the kid. I I can't remember another player in my time covering this team that coaches have spoken so highly of. Mm -hmm. And so of course I asked about Ty Karche and said, look, we, we got the chance to see what he can do up in Seattle, you know, kind of talk about his progression from the start of the season to where he's at now. And Biles, I mean, you'll hear his answer at the end of this thing, but again, caught off guard, maybe a little bit, maybe didn't expect to hear that question kind of in relation to Seattle and everything. But um, he, he said that the number one thing you want to do as a player is like leave no doubt about the kind of player you are and what it is that you do. And he said, you know, Ty was a great example of that. Like he said, I think he was talking about the game that had just happened. And he said, like, Ty let everybody in the building know there were moments that he was going to score a goal. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he mentioned he had seven shots, 12 attempts. Like, you know, he was just a force out there. And so then I asked about when that call up came, when it, when it came time to look, the Kraken are in the playoffs, you need someone to call up. Like, how much do you factor in that decision of kind of letting Ron know who the right player is to meet that moment? And he fired right back. The players make that decision. They make that decision with their play. And I, I love this quote from me. He said, Ty was leaving no question in anybody's mind 
about who that call up should be. And he really just kind of forced the issue. You could mm -hmm. tell with how he was playing. And so the more I think about it, the more I think just he's going to make the roster next season. Yeah. The way that Bileswood talks about him, the way that Hackstall talks about him, coaches absolutely love this kid. Um, and and why wouldn't they, given how he plays? Yeah, and it was it was funny too because like when when you watch lower levels of hockey, RJ, and by lower levels I mean anything other than the NHL, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's AHL, whether it's Major Junior, there are guys, and especially if you're watching in person, there are guys that are just clearly too good to be playing at that level. Like their pace is just higher than everybody else's. What they're able to do, they're able seemingly to do twice as much as everyone else. That was Ty Cartier in that game. He was just faster than everybody. He could lay out a hit and still get back in time. Like he was playing with NHL playoff pace and nobody else in that game was playing with that same level of pace. And, and just what he was able to do on the PK, he was fantastic. He could do everything that they needed him to do. I mean, he just looked so solid. He was so good. He looked too good to be there. Just being honest. Like yeah, awesome that the, that the Kraken organization are able to have him there and he can be a part of this. And hopefully, you know, the Firebirds can, can do something really, really massive here. Um, but the bottom line is he just looked too good to be there. Yeah, he did. And that wasn't always the case, though. Bilesman did mention at the start of the season he was not in a good spot as far as where he was on the roster and, and kind of how he was playing. And of course, I think that speaks to the work ethic, but look, you have a player who was undrafted in junior undrafted in the NHL yep. and is where he's at now. I think that that says more than any coach can say about a player's work ethic and, and trying to get to the right spot. Um, so that's Ty Karche. I mean, <laughs> what, what more can be said really about yeah. him, but the last I want to cover is Joey Decord. Now mm -hmm. he is a pending UFA. I think it's, probably likely he leaves the Kraken organization to go find opportunities somewhere else. I know, I know it's sad, but I just, I want to point out he played well, Bilesma loved the play where, and we both noticed at the time yeah. too, where he just was playing the puck behind the net and a defender was coming in on one side. He faked the pat, just looked him off. Like he was going there, yep. got the defender to go away and then just set it on the backhand the other way. Like just so calm with the puck yeah. and fun to watch too. We, we both gave each other like, Oh, kind of, yeah. you know, expression right after that. And of course, Bilesma noticed that as well. But the number one thing I wanted to point out with Joey was how much of a fan favorite he was in Coachella Valley. There is no question who the fans' favorite player is there. Yeah. It's Joey Decord. The Joey chants um, and, and even talking to some of the fans, asking who their favorite player was. I mean, it's clearly Joey. To see the connection that he's made with that fan base was really awesome because we got to see him up at the NHL level you know, a few yeah. times. We liked having him around. We liked having him around the Kraken. Um, but we didn't really get to see you know, everything that he was doing in Coachella Valley. And man, you can tell he's made an impression on that fan base. He has. And I mean, you, it's it's not hard to see why, right? Like not only is he goaltender and so obviously there's going to be a lot of eyes on you and he's played really, really well for the Firebirds, especially this postseason. I mean, a 927 save percentage so far. It's been a big part about of the reason why Coachella Valley has had the success they've had. But he's also just got an amazing personality. Right. Like you talked about Bilesmo's personality oh, yeah. and kind of being perfect in a new market to have somebody like that who is open and nice and kind and willing just to speak their mind and be free about like things. And that's that's Joey Decord. And I think that that just goes a long way to having people connect with you. And I think that that's one of the things that hockey just in general needs more of. Um, but especially in situations like a Coachella Valley where you are, you know, this new thing and, and people are excited for it and they want 
something to attach themselves to in that excitement having somebody like a Joey Decord around with that kind of personality playing the position that he does is the perfect storm. Yeah, it really is. And it's great to see again, just that they have the benefit of having someone like Joey Decord and like a lot of the players that they have down yeah. there. It's just the perfect fit for mm -hmm. a new market first year with the team. You, you can't ask for anything better. Nope. Nope. He's, he's been fantastic. So again, it's one of those, Oh, I would love for the Kraken organization to be able to keep him, RJ, but as we've talked about, I just, I, I don't see how. And again, he's he's earned it. He's earned the ability to be at the NHL level. He just has. Yeah, that's, that's the bottom line, right? He's earned the chance to be an NHL goalie. I don't think he's going to have that chance here. He needs to go play NHL games, and I think he'll do well wherever it is uh, when he does. Yep, definitely. Um, so Coachella Valley, they're, you know, they're up two one in the series, RJ, they're finally to the best of seven series in the, the finally <laughs> AHL playoffs. <laughs> I know, um, game four is, uh, Thursday, June 1st. So interesting there. Milwaukee was able to win that game three, RJ. It's the first of three games in Milwaukee. The way they do this, uh, everybody just to save on travel costs uh, is, uh, two, Two games at Coachella Valley, three games in Milwaukee, and then the final two games of the series, if needed, would be at Coachella Valley again. Um, and uh, the Admirals, they looked a lot better in that one. Made a goalie change, RJ. It's, it's always scary, right? Bring in a goaltender first game of the playoffs for him, only allows one goal. That's, that's scary. Hopefully Coachella can break through next game. Yeah, you never know how that's going to go. And it was interesting watching uh, Yaroslav Askarov. I mean, I won't, I'll keep it short because he's not a Kraken prospect, but he was an 11th overall draft pick. He was, he's just fun. He is fun to watch play. And he didn't have the best game, you know, first mm -hmm. goal of the game. He misplays the puck as it comes to him and kind of goes down and bats it into his own net, essentially. Um, but then he he came back strong from that, was not phased by it. And to even see him kind of celebrating behind the play after a big save, like the puck goes the other way and he's like, yeah, got it. Um, he's fun to watch. Looking forward to seeing him in the NHL with the Preds one day. Yeah, but I'm, I'm telling you, in Milwaukee, they, they moved to Devin Cooley, RJ. And you know why he scares me? Why two, does he scare you? Two reasons. One, he shares a birthday with me, 525. Shout out for that. Yep. Two, yep. shares a birthplace with my sister, Los Gatos, California. Oh, that's right. He's from Los Gatos. I was seeing, looking at the <laughs> roster. I was like, oh, look, they got one of their goalies from Los Gatos. Yeah, so uh, that's that's kind of weird. That's a little too much coincidence for me. I, that scares me. Not going to lie. Yeah, that that could be some uh, some lucky baby magic there. He's uh, And he's 6'5", he's too. There, there's only giants on this team. Well, yeah, they've got three defensemen over 6'4". They've got two. Both of their goalies are over 6'4". Like, everybody on this team is just massive. Like, it was crazy. So, again, the fact that Shane Wright was able to play as physical as he was and win battles against these people tells me Shane Wright could handle the NHL. No problem. Yeah, nine players 6'4 or taller on that team. I, yeah, it's it's insane. It's insane. So many of them. So that's the situation in Coachella Valley. Obviously, we'll keep everybody up to date with that as well because it's very exciting. And then, you know, we'll see if they if they can advance to the AHL finals, all that stuff. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind going back out there. 
I wouldn't either. And I know the the people there were trying to convince us to come back if they yep. got to the Calder Cup final. Yep. Um, and uh, it's tempting offer. Yep. Definitely would be hard to say no. So um, with that, I think we'll we'll probably call this a podcast again. Everybody enjoy the press conference with Dan Balsma after this. I'll have that video audio in there. Uh, shout out to Queen Anne Beer Hall for sponsoring the podcast as always. Definitely appreciate them. And then, yeah, just one more reminder about all the stuff we've got coming up in June over on the Patreon, everybody. If you're interested, go check that out. Again, going to be, you know, you get the multiple Red Glare podcasts. That's always a lot of fun. Get the live game commentaries for the Stanley Cup final and access to those two live streams as well. The Armchair GM stream with RJ and then the post-draft prospect stream with me at the end of the month. Uh, Looking forward to all that good stuff. But until then, I say, see you all next time. Coach, uh, by my count, that's 60 minutes down, two wins down. One twenty. Uh, one twenty. <laughs> well, yeah, one twenty. I got Adam over there. I don't have that same uh, education that you do. <laughs> yeah, just your thoughts on uh, the performance tonight. It still hasn't looked like you guys have played maybe your best game of the series yet. Is that fair? I hope that's true. <laughs> I hope that's true. Uh, I thought, uh, I, I liked the way we came out tonight, right from the first shift. That's uh, Pets, his line, Carson and Fogo, right from the drop of the puck. Uh, we got a four-checking shift. We got heavy in the offensive zone. And, and we, th- we, we thought we could do more of that. We know we need to do more of that. And, and uh, um, I said, right, right from that drop of the puck, that was a, a big leading shift for us to start the game. Third period, they gave you a pretty good push. and. Uh, I'm sure something as a coach uh, you kind of wanted, wasn't it, to see what they had? That was like the, uh, the last 14 minutes or so. Um, it was repeated pucks behind our defense and, and them coming heavy on the forecheck. And that's what kind of team they are. And, and uh, we we expect that uh, right from the drop of the puck from them in this game. And, and you know, they were obviously down in the game there in the third period. And they, they brought it repeatedly. And, see how big and, and heavy they are on the forecheck. They got big bodies and they can make it tough on you going back for pucks. And, and, uh, and the way the way out of it is breaking the puck out. And, uh, it's a five-man unit. And I thought we you know, we dealt with that pressure uh, really well in the third period by, by doing that, breaking the puck out. Big efforts by Goose on the back end and, and Jimmy Schultz on the back end and, and Eddie Whitcow going back for those pucks and breaking pucks out. And, that's a, that's a huge part of our success if we can do that against this team, which is their strength. Um, that can go a long way. Seven-game series, how important is game three now up there? <laughs> it's the next one, so it's the most important one. Um, you know, we we uh, you know we haven't uh, won game twos in each of the series that we've played, and so uh, tonight was the biggest game for us in uh, trying to. Turn that tide, turn that uh, story, and, and getting a win in game two, and, and the guys did that. And so that's uh, that's huge for us. And, and now you got to turn the page real quickly and and uh, look forward to game three. Coach, you have, you have three up there. Uh, would you say the win tonight was critical for getting that? I, you know, it's the American Hockey League. Due to the travel, that's the way series are set up for the seven games, a 2-3-2, and um, I think there's some advantage to the home, to the road team if you can get a win uh, in the first two games going back to three at your building. So um, 
it's a it's a huge it's huge for us to get the game one and game two get up in the series because we're now faced with going back to to the hostile environment and their building and, and where they're they've proven to be good so it's yes this win was was massive to try to thwart that uh ice advantage they're going to have for the next three the contrasting styles for a team, of course, never seen before, continue to flesh out tonight. Um, for a second game in a row, speed and agility and skill seem to obviously win out over a lot of size that they have. Um, for you, is this, well, this kind of how you scouted it out from the outset? Is this how you saw it playing out a little bit on the ice? Well, you're talking about their strengths as a team. It's, it's size and, and um, that big physical play from on both ends of the rink, on the forwards and from their D. And when we watched them play against Texas, they didn't. Uh, they did a good job of not giving Texas uh, anything in the offensive zone. They squashed their plays and they didn't uh, first touch and out. And uh, you didn't see any of that uh, offensive zone play. That is what we hope, we hope we're good at. What we try to be good at. And so this this is two teams kind of button heads where they're good at defending, they're good at being big, and we were uh, we pride ourselves on being good, quick, fast, physical, get to the offensive zone and grind teams down. And we do that with speed, we do that with skill, and uh, you know that's that's kind of how each game has played out. To be, to be quite honest with you, we've uh, I think we've um, done a good job at times of of getting to the offensive zone and. and um, being good in the offensive zone and, and kind of uh, using their size against them, um, but uh, it's, it's it's a continual battle because they're they are big and they are strong and they make it a grinding game and a tough game and, and that's something we have to play through. I obviously can't speak for the mindset of the opponent, but a dispiriting goal one would imagine to get the game underway for them. Uh, that was followed by basically seemingly giving you everything they had, uh, just a full-on bum rush in the third period. They played, played, played well. It seemed like that, that was the best they had played in the series thus far, and a, a, a loss for them nonetheless. You can imagine that they're in a quirky spot. You guys got to be in a pretty confident spot, 2-0. Even going on the road, how do you maintain that? How do you keep that up, getting in, in, into their ice, and, and not let them get back in the series, having the mindset of keeping up that confidence for you guys? Well, I, you, you actually, you, I think you asked a lot of questions there. Yeah, <laughs> I think we're trying to questions. answer them. I think we're trying to answer them. It's a seven point question. Yeah, um, the, the, the first goal, obviously, uh, a misplay and a miscue and, and um, you know, kind of added to the, the electricity in the building and got us going. But he answered that uh, with a bunch of, a handful of great saves. Um, and they answered with a power play goal, you know, to draw even in that game. So it, it, he, yeah, there was a miscue for sure, but uh, he also can't deny the, um, the two or three glove saves he made on our power play in the first period. Some outstanding saves there. And, and uh, he, he, Felt like he was going to be the difference maker in the game, even after the, the first play. But I think, uh, you know, the in terms of the series, it's you know we talk about it being 420 minutes long. It's segments and intermittents of 
games and we've played 60 of them and it's not done yet and I don't think it's done from their standpoint yet either. And so I think they're gonna they're gonna take the opportunity to go back home and try to impose their will on us and, and do it in their home environment for, for three, four, and five. And um, it's still it's still gonna be a challenge for us to kind of impose our will on them and, and we get to do it over what's left? One twenty minus four we got a good look at Ty Karchi up in Seattle during the Kraken's playoff run and kind of what he can do. Um, can you talk about kind of his progression from the start of the season to building his game where it's at now? Uh, well, it's uh, it's a huge it's a huge development story for for Ty and and where he's come from from the beginning of the season. But uh, you know, our our your goal as a player and, and your job as a player is to leave no doubt about who you are and what you do as a player. And it's repeatedly night in and night out. He is, there's no question about what kind of player Ty is and what he's good at and what he can do well for the team. I don't know how, I think he had seven shots on that and probably had 12 attempts. Um, you know, he, he uh, at several times he uh, let everybody know in the building like he's going to score and he's He's coming here to score a goal, and, and uh, he's he's developed that over the course of the year. He's not in a great spot, uh, to be honest, at the beginning of the season with where he was at in the roster and where he's at in the lineup and the opportunity he had. And he he had the mindset he was going to work and do everything he could to to improve his game, his skating, his his puck handling, his shot, and and uh, did that over the course of the whole year. And like I said, there's there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt, kind of what kind of player is he. Did it in Seattle as well. When an NHL spot opens up like that, I mean, how much do you factor into that decision as far as kind of maybe letting Ron know, you know, who the right player is to meet that moment? Players make that decision. If players make that decision with how they're playing, and you know, they, it's uh, there was a couple different times throughout the year where there was opportunities for a call up, and. It, Ty was Ty was leaving no question in pretty much anybody's mind about who that call should be, and that's that's all on him. That's I said. The players make that decision. They make the decision because of how they're playing. They play that. They play and make that decision because of how they're competing, and, and that one was obvious. And what's your message to Shane Ben after coming back here after his junior season's ending? Yeah, our message to Shane is like is. You know, we I I think the, the we have a, a winning environment. We have a, a competitive environment. Get in there and be a part of it. And uh, you know, that's that's uh, I think I think tonight was was Shane's best game in that in that regard. You know, he uh, he's got speed and he's got skill and he's got a great shot. Uh, the play that stands out to me in the game is uh, the competitive wall play that he made to. Spring pets and, and uh, Jeremy McKenna on that two on one that uh, turned out to be a goal for us. You mentioned the energy in the building early. When they told you you were coming to Palm Springs, <laughs> did you ever think you'd see what you've seen the last couple of games here? Uh, I hoped it. I, I thought there was a chance for it. We got, you know, there's a, a lot of, there's a lot of snowbirds, there's a lot of, Transplants that are here, I, I've 
bumped into a lot of people who are Kings fans and Sharks fans and Ducks fans and finally excited about having a hockey team uh, of their own here in the desert. But I, I you know, we, we have the best environment to play in. We have the best fans. They're coming out in droves. They're super energetic. They're, they're, I don't want to say that. They're great fans. Like they have, they're, they're loving the, what's on the ice. They're loving the birds. They're loving us winning. And it's, uh, it's awesome. And you come out to, tonight, you come out to a, you know, a whiteout. You come out to a, it's an NHL building. It's an NHL playoff atmosphere. It's, it's pretty remarkable. Coach, you mentioned Petman and his goal, but uh, it looked to me like he was ready to break out, and maybe he did tonight. Did it feel that way for you too on the bench? Pets has been playing uh, great. You know, it, the, the last few months, the last two months, and in the playoffs, he's, we've we've asked him to take on a big role. He's playing against other teams' best lines and in a checking role, and he's been. Stepping out of his shell, he's really coming to his own and, and how he's playing, and and uh, he's also got a little bit of offensive flair to him when he when he comes to that. And, um, it it wasn't just the goal tonight. We've seen it uh, kind of repeatedly in the playoffs here as we've gone along in some of these tough battles. He's he's uh, come up big for us a number of times. Blocking shots to us on that late in the game tonight. He kind of winced and, and lift himself to the bench, but what does that say in the last minute or two of the game when he's willing to sacrifice like that? That's, that, like, he's not the only one. It was a lot, you know, we saw Carson with a big block and, and Husey with a big block and Pets, but uh, he's, you know, he's, uh, I, we, I, I call him a little bowling ball. Because he's, uh, he's super strong and he plays like a bowling ball. He bowls people over and he, and he when, when called upon, he gets the big block and he's, this, this guy's all in. Uh, the final one for me is I got to ask about Joey because I don't think Joey said his two best games, but when you needed him, he was there again, wasn't he? I, yeah, not, he was, it was his. It was probably his best game tonight in handling the puck. He he did a you know the the one look off in the third period uh, under pressure and, and the guys barreling down on him and he uh, he looks the guy off, holds onto it, and we break it out the other way and, and we step out of the zone. Like it's it's just uh, it's it's amazing to to watch the poise and the the ability he has with the puck and he was. Super ultra important in the third period when they were coming hard uh, and doing so. And you know, I said, he's he's say it again. He's he's our best player. And he, maybe yeah, you can always didn't stop every puck tonight, but uh, I think he was a huge factor for us tonight. Thanks, Thanks. Hey everyone! Before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at Patreon.com/EmeraldCityHockey especially our Terror of the Deep patrons. Absurdly Sane, Alex, Andrew, Anonymous, Ben, Burnt Krem, Kaylin, Chris, Cody, Connor, Coop, Daryl, Denise, DJ Singletone, Duthin, Eli, Elizabeth, Evan, Habak, Gaby, Gary, Gregory, Jay, Jane, Jeremy, Jessica, 
Joni, Joseph, Josh, Joshua, Keegan, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, Leanne, Blight, Lonnie, Mark, Maya, Michelle, Noah, Nori, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rebecca, Sarah, Scott, C.A. Kraken, Sean B., Sean O., Sergey, Shoeshine, Skeletal Tendency, Steve, Steven, Striatic, Hasty Kobold, Team YMIAT, Tank Commander Ty, Wendy, Strife, and Zane. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support.